la. <laughs> but he, and, and honestly, she was not worth him giving it up. She just, he couldn't give it up. She wasn't worth it for him. He I, would have given, I would have given it. I don't think but that's would. me. I don't think you would. My hair is actually really. So welcome everybody. It's point. Wednesday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. My hair. It's about as good. You as are one gets. of the vainest people. Oh, I'm vain. Oh my God. I'm almost as vain as George Costanza. No, you're more Jerry vain. You're vain. Why do people make fun of my hair? You're very vain. <laughs> I'm not that vain. Yes. When you, let me tell you something. When you. When you bring home like the, the girlfriend that looks like you, it'll be really funny. <laughs> what do you you don't know what you're talking about? You don't know what you look like. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> so so we're gonna have a really interesting conversation right now because Don't they dare try? Oh no, they're trying. Oh yeah. So and that's will. that's what we're talking about. So um as our good friend Steve Grumbine likes to say, privatization, the ultimate and libertarian neoliberal utopia. Yes, it actually is the perfect merger, if you will, of that sentiment. Yeah. Let's Which, just... by the way, is what makes room for fascism. Oh, yeah. That's how it happens. Or a, a, a workers' uprising or what you would call it. I'm just saying, pick a side, people. Yeah, pick that's where the revolution is coming. You're having a revolution. Take, pick it on the left or you're getting it on the right. That's what I can tell you. Um, but seriously, right now, uh, the city of Fort Lauderdale and the people that get their water from the city of Fort Lauderdale mm -hmm. are um, facing the privatization of the system, which we're going to find out like exactly what that would mean. But I have a feeling it's not going to benefit the majority of people. I have the sneaking suspicion that it will benefit some. Once I hear privatized and I see the dollar signs and somehow I know people are getting screwed. And so I saw briefly a reference to the vice mayor of Tamarack is seceding. So there is like a secession happening. He's seceding. And now, it didn't mention him by name, but I know who that is. So I said to Peter, we need to talk to Mike because apparently they're seceding from Fort Lauderdale and we need to get to the bottom of what's going on with the water in Fort Lauderdale. You know, the amazing thing. And listen, Steve, you can have your opinion. But I think my hair looks pretty sharp. <laughs> For say that God's sake. Say. Paul, you know, if you follow what um, our good friend Jordan Chariton, who will be on next Wednesday, uh, has been talking about regarding water in the United States. It isn't just Flint, Michigan. It isn't just Jackson, Mississippi. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. The only places that really don't have a problem with their water supply are people that have all of the money. That's where the water is safe. But if you're not there, you could be living anywhere in this country and your water, including here in South Florida, and we do have problems with water down here, not in every community, but they exist. Well, and let's be real. I mean, Fort Lauderdale also has other infrastructure issues. They oh, get yeah. sewage in their streets when it when it rains really heavy. But let's build an underground tunnel. Right? Right. We're going to build an underground tunnel. With, and yeah, so the mayor of Fort Lauderdale is the same person who wanted to uh, get with Elon Musk and build that underground tunnel to, like, I, I'm picturing some sort of like escape hatch pod thing that takes people from downtown to the beach, which probably would only be certain types of people that could afford to go in the escape pod. I don't know. They might as well just build it, you know, like a, a, a monorail that basically is a, well, like an elevated monorail of some sort. Well, they'd rather go through the that. sewage. They'd rather go through the sewage. Yeah, it's just but, screw working people. Who cares anyway? So we're going to talk to Mike, right? I mean, we need to find out what's going on with the water in Fort Lauderdale, how it's going to screw everybody and how the city of Tamarack is going to try to save its people.
That would be wonderful. And you know what? I bet if he does that, I'd probably increase the value of the properties there. That would be great for everyone who's living in Tamarack. Tamarack's a nice little no, town. No, you so. the truth is you have to stand up for your people. Damn right you do. He is the current vice mayor of Tamarack. He is running to be the next mayor who we, knock on wood, hope will be in just three weeks from yesterday. So without further ado, Mike Gellin, welcome back to Generational Change. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys do a great job, have great chemistry and love watching you guys. How's it going? I feel now that we're, so talking, yourself. we're talking to Mike after you just sat there and went on about your hair. Now, how do you think he feels? Now that's what he's talking about. Go kick rocks or something like that. Right? <laughs> so, but bald is beautiful, my friends. So. It is. It is. And it's easy. It you is. know what? It's a per person thing. It, it really is. It's yeah. a, just like facial hair. It's a per person thing. It's like you, when you walk around with confidence, like you carry a certain thing, it works. Like it's just, yeah, no, <laughs> no, I was referring to Mike, but no. Um, all right, all right. So I, you heard what I how we did the intro and what's going on. So start by telling us what is going on in Fort Lauderdale. Um, why this is going to be changing now. I know that the plant that they've been using is like decrepit and disgusting, but just give the background as to how we ended up where they're trying to sell our water. Yeah. So, you know, I'm really not sure where it started, where it ended. I actually just learned about it last week uh, when I was on a call with another organization. And I know for a fact that on the east side of Tamarack, um, we get our water from the city of Fort Lauderdale. So when I first learned that there are uh, plans in place to privatize the water, um, I, I needed to learn more. So I got some information from the organization. There's an 111-page document uh, that I'm reading through now, even though some, someone gave me some bullet points. I actually want to you know, read through the fine details myself. And so I'm, I have an item on the commission coming up next week um, to get the commission to consider drafting a resolution against the privatization of water in Fort Lauderdale because number one, it impacts the city of Tamarack. But as you stated earlier, the city of Tamarack um, had already had plans in place to, to no longer get water from the city of Fort Lauderdale, but that's gonna take a little bit of time. But even if it did not impact Tamarack, as you know, when trends happen. So when one city does something, other cities start, start to pick up. And I don't think it makes sense to take our most valuable and precious resource of water uh, and to privatize that you know, there are certain things that government just needs to handle. You can't trust. We've learned that you cannot trust the private sector with certain things like health. Uh, and 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 to start the trend of privatization, war, privatizing water, to me, is very dangerous. Uh, so we need to make a statement about it. Um, I've done a little bit of, of research. And from what I understand, the city of Florida can actually save money if they decide to reinvest uh, in their water plant, clean it up um, rather than, than privatizing. But I'm still there's a lot of research. I'm still learning more. Uh, I've directed staff to bring a report back to the city commission so that we can learn more and, and make a decision as to whether or not we're going to uh, move forward with this resolution. Speaking with Mike Gellin, candidate for mayor of Tamarack, Florida. Uh, I mean, yeah, you would think that water is life. It is. And that would be one of the few commodities that maybe we wouldn't have to turn into a capitalist utopia in this country. But it seems like there really isn't anything that's off limits. And if we're talking about Florida, we're talking about, you know, the wild, wild west. Oh, we're going full Handmaid's Tale apocalypse in this state. Yeah. yeah. If it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. First. We'll be having the Handmaid's Tale dressed women having to go and fetch water from like private wells and like pay with sexual services to be able to get waters for their kids. Right, well, listen, and, I haven't seen the Handmaid's Tale, so I have no. Oh, well, that's just the whole thing about like the birthing women. But that's neither yeah. here nor there. But anyway, it's mm -hmm. it's very scary. 
And, and when you look at people like the mayor of Fort Lauderdale, who is clearly very affluent and is now looking where somehow it seems okay to him to privatize something that should be a public good. Like somehow that seems like a good idea to him. And certainly he's not fighting against that. Like what, what is, what's going on over there with the, with the commission? Like, are they supporting this? Is there anyone fighting against this? From what I understand, uh, there's full support of it. And uh, their initial goal was to get it passed before a new commission comes on board. Um, from what I learned recently from our, our staff in Tamarack doing some research, it may not be on the agenda before the election. Um, so for those who are against it, there could be some hope uh, because there'll be a new commissioner with at least three new commissioners who will have a new voice. So it's going to be important uh, that on November 9th, the day after the elections, that residents of the city of Fort Lauderdale engage with that new commission to find out where they stand and what their position is uh, on whether or not they should privatize the water uh, in the city of Fort Lauderdale and whether or not there's going to be a tax benefit. I mean, we all pay a little water bill right now. What will that water bill be like once it goes private, if it goes private? My bigger concern is, is if something goes private, where's the oversight and the accountability? Then what happens? If you so, so you could be paying for a service that's supposed to be, say, prime quality, but there's no oversight or transparency of that private, whatever, probably, you know, interest holders and the only people that have access to the information. So in other words, there's no regulation. Yes. How do you how would you regulate the quality if it's private? Like, I don't I don't know how that would work. And, and we've seen that with the uh, economy. Um, we have a federal government and we have an SEC that's supposed to monitor and regulate these corporations. But time and time again, we've proven that we cannot regulate properly the private sector. So we've demonstrated failure in other avenues. I don't think we should take a chance when it comes to our precious, our most precious resource, uh, which is water. So are you going to go talk at their commission meeting? I am going to call uh, the commissioners that I know uh, very well, yeah. uh, which include Ben Sorensen and yep. uh, the mayor, and find out what, what their position is. Uh, I'm waiting on staff to get research. I'm still reading through this 111-page document uh, that I reviewed a few days ago to really find out what the what the details are. But it is going to impact uh, the city of Tamarack, at least the eastern part. Uh, so it's incumbent upon us as the Tamarack City Commission to find out where they stand, what their plans are, and then make our voice heard. You know, it's it's really amazing how, you know, we think about, uh, I mean, I remember when I met Trump years ago and, you know, he was driving a Rolls Royce Phantom mm -hmm. and I see the mayor of Fort Lauderdale driving a Bentley. And all I'm thinking is you're at, you're, you want to talk about being at a level of disconnect where you cannot identify with somebody who works a nine to five. Yes. I mean, I thought that this mayor was just somebody who was a classic, you know, mid to big city, you know, on the take representative who was going to do whatever the corporate special interests want. He's twice as bad. He's at that level and he's bought by them. I mean, when I think about that type, and, and I'm to me, and this is again, and he's a muscafant. What what's that mean? It's the sycophant to Elon Musk. Oh, a muscafant. Oh, that's <laughs> so uh, muscafant. Honestly, I think the only reason he didn't run for Congress against Moskowitz is because he's got too many uh, skeletons in his closet mm -hmm. in order to put himself out there for a federal seat. Now we're really getting to see, you know, just how depraved these things get. But all politics is local. 
And I think people really fail to recognize, and this is a huge problem in the Democratic Party, as we've observed, yes. not to say that, you know, the top, you know, of the, you know, ballot races aren't important, but everything that happens at the local level is what will ultimately lift all the way to the top. Can you talk about the importance of being the vice mayor of Tamarack, potentially becoming the next mayor of Tamarack? Please be and, the next mayor. Well, that would be good. We're, we're pulling and we're hoping and we're working for him. So. Yeah. What, what is the input? Talk about the importance of local politics, why that matters so much. Yeah, it, it matters because we touch you uh, very closely. I just got an email um, the other day. Someone had a water leak um, and all of a sudden their water bill doubled uh, and they paid the water bill. But they went to the city and said, hey, something's wrong here. Uh, and the city just cut off their water. Um, no warning. Uh, so that pisses me off. One of the things I'm going to do as mayor, I'm going to stop this water shutoff policy. This is probably the third time someone has called me. One one person called me. They paid their bill consistently. Uh, um, they, the city did an audit and found that they undercharged this person and cut their water off. Well, this person had a 90-year-old father in his house that needed water. Uh, we, we can't have that. So people can call me and I can get things done right away. When we do things on the local level, for example, in the city of Tamarack, we, um, people were calling me after the pandemic and they were losing their jobs, didn't have money, couldn't they pay their rent, their bills. So I got the city to agree to set aside $250,000 to give to residents who were in need. We did this before the federal government made a decision to give money um, and then before they ever gave any money. And then once they did start to give money, we, we were actually reimbursed for that $250,000. So we didn't experience a loss but we were able to respond very quickly to the needs of residents, and that's the power of local government. Uh, we were able to pass a local business permits program to help local Tamarack businesses, small business purpose program to make sure we spend money within our local tri-county area. And then everyone talks about how they love our veterans and we, we, we appreciate our veterans, but don't do anything to show that appreciation. So we joined the city of Pembroke Pines as the second city in Broward County to have a veterans business purpose program. Veterans understand each other. They know what they've gone through. They're more willing to hire another veteran and help them uh, uh, overcome whatever challenges they have. Um, so we've been able to, to respond to the needs of people while still being able to touch um, our representatives in the state house and in the federal house. So we go to Tallahassee every year to talk about our legislative agenda. And uh, we go to DC every year, to talk about a federal agenda. And hey, even though I don't agree politically with uh, Marco Rubio or, 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 or Rick Scott. Uh, I am in the room with them. We do present our, our uh, agenda for the city. Um, and hey, you know, they, they probably help the, the cities and the counties that vote their way. Uh, those cities and counties probably get more funding than we do. Uh, but it's our job to still be in the room to make the case uh, and advocate for the residents that, that we represent. Let me just say that if you've been in the same room with Rick Scott, do you like de louse? Um, when you come out of that, that's some serious toxic stuff there, man. That is some woo, ultra-level toxicity. You know what's funny? I have to show you a picture uh, with me standing next to Rick Scott. It looks like we're at the Madame Tussauds Wax Museum. It looks like a, a fake figure. <laughs> uh, you can't let that get too close to you. We've talked about the. We've talked about you know who down here in Broward and the energy that she emits when you're around, which is very negative. Rick Scott is the only politician in the in the state that I believe is above that. Uh, he is. No, I would say below. No, I mean at that level. Oh, okay. You know, uh, he's just some. 
Um, he is the worst of the worst. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, you know, he's never been properly challenged. And, yes. and that is unfortunate. He's always seemed to have always found the right opponent at the right time. Maybe in 24, that won't be that won't be the case. We'll see what ends up happening. But I, I believe yeah. he's I believe he's the second richest senator in uh in, in the House. In the Senate. Yeah. He's number oh, one. Oh wow. He's number one. Well, let me tell you, I've seen his uh It's so gross. I've seen his mansion <laughs> on the Gulf of Mexico in Naples. Wow. That's a lot of they, they, that takes a lot of blood money well, to buy a house like that. Yeah. yeah, he's um there's a lot of dead bodies there. Yeah, that, off that, government that, money, off government money. Yeah. 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 Why is he not incarcerated? See, he yeah. should be in car- He should be in prison. He should. But unfortunately, he's never uh, been properly put in this place. But I got to tell you, uh, he is very you know this. You're, you're an elected government. He is very, very jealous of Ron DeSantis. And I kind of get the impression that he may be stepping in doo doo one too many times. It's like the we'll male Marsha, Marsha, Marsha thing. Yeah. He's like, no, it was supposed to be me. Damn well, it. he's like, I, does he, is it because he realizes that he's so detestable? And, and I don't know. I don't know. Anything's possible, but I, I would definitely say considering the things he's been doing behind the scenes um, and considering that it's very, very likely that our governor is going to be reelected. I would definitely be very concerned if I'm Rick Scott going into 24, but I digress. I think we all agree that there will be several Republicans uh, running for president, including Ron DeSantis, and perhaps even Rick Scott. I mean, I think they're all going to take their chance uh, of running for president. Uh, Rick Scott is going around uh, uh, promoting Herschel Walker and, and other candidates, and and some of these governors and senators do this to build their national profile and put themselves in a position to to run for president. So we'll see how it goes, but it seems like you're right. Uh, Ron DeSantis seems to be the most popular um, of the bunch of candidates who look like they're going to run for uh, president. Oh, he's infinitely less offensive to me than Rick Scott. Well, that's uh, we have very a very low, low bar. bar again. So we're Florida. Bar is low. How are you feeling about your race at this current state as early voting begins next week? Uh, so I feel really good about it. You know, we have a strategy that is uh, hitting all angles. So we have a strong ground game. We have a strong digital game. We have a strong uh, uh, mail game. Uh, we have a strong texting game, email. So we're trying to communicate with voters in every way possible. Um, we reached out to pretty much everyone that requested a vote by mail ballot. And the response that we got back was wonderful. And we're, we're looking forward to the vote by mail next week. We're going to continue to communicate with uh, voters every way possible. And then I'll personally be on the ground 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. for the next 14 days beginning that Monday. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to, you know, I still work, so I am going to take some time off for some client meetings. Uh, but other than client meetings, I will be on the field, on the ground. And before um, uh, early voting starts this uh, Monday, Saturday and Sunday all day, I'll be knocking on doors of people who still have ballots in their hand to try to win their vote and to try to encourage them to mail it or, or vote early at the library. Well, we will be canvassing over the weekend for Rod Velez, who's running for school board. I think these nonpartisan races are really where it's at. You yes. are definitely on the progressive side of politics. But let me tell you, when we were canvassing for Nick Sordal for mayor here in Plantation, uh, when it's a nonpartisan race, you could be the most true blue, no matter who, or the most MAGA Republican. They will talk to you if it doesn't involve Democrat versus It's Republican. so much easier to sell. It's so much of an easier sell because it's literally just a person. It's not, you don't have to sit there with the tribalism. Yeah, it was so, it was very pleasant compared yeah. to what we're used to. Yeah, I do um, find um, maybe, maybe two out of 10 will ask, you know, what's your party affiliation? Yeah. But other than that, 
people just want to know. And I know I have I have support from both sides, uh, which which gives me great joy. That's great. And that's what it's about. I mean, honestly, when you think about the hyperpartisan world that we're living in today, mayor, city council, county commission, school board, state attorney, um, sheriff, public defender, there's a lot of races that are nonpartisan. And if you're concerned about, you know, the right, the left versus right. They make them more partisan, which they ought not. Well, that's Broward County. That is Broward County. But we also know that like you said, the experience on the ground has been, tell me what you're going to do to help my community. That's what I think people really care about. And one thing I would like to ask, obviously, you've been a vice mayor, Jenna's run for at the federal level. How much would you put a premium on name recognition? Like how much do you think that actually matters when it comes to winning an election? It matters a lot. And, and, And unfortunately, um, that's why money plays such a big role in politics, because as you know, it, it costs money. You can't just use Gmail when you're trying to reach out to voters. You have to pay for a platform. You have to pay for a platform to, to send text messages. Um, sending regular mail is still very important. So it costs a lot of money. So having name recognition is very important unless you know ahead of time that you want to run for a certain seat and you're going to be on the ground walking at least a year before uh, that, that election starts. Uh, and so unless we find a way to take money out of politics or have uh, uh, um, uh, public public uh, funds to pay for elections, you know, you're going to have somebody like Rick Scott who can put 70 million dollars in and buy a seat to, to be on the governor's, governor's mansion. And, you know, we shouldn't have a society where the richest person gets to, to be in a seat um, where when you serve on the state level and you have to run for reelection every two years, even the federal level as a congress person. You spend the majority of your time dialing for dollars, and that's not how a, a society should work, and especially a functioning society like this country, um, where you have to rely so much on the dollars to hold your seat. And then someone else, whether it's a lobbyist or developer, can outspend you and pick up an opponent out out of nowhere, fund that person, and take you out of your seat. Like the Spice Girls. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of candidates that are like that, that I think look like they get plucked out of obscure. Look, Mayo Pete. There's people that get plucked out of like obscurity to basically be Manchurian candidates for whatever special interest it is. Yes. Well, if you, if you, you know, and, and one of the reasons why I like you a lot in particular is because you are a great candidate and you're a great representative and you could easily just, you know, cave and become you know, a a yes man for the party and probably rise through the ranks very quickly. You check a lot of boxes in their eyes. (laughs) At the end of the day, you give a damn about your constituents more than you give a damn about your career, which is unfortunately the big disconnect in politics. This is not a career. This is public service. And that is what I think just gets lost. And in, and in, in South Florida in particular, It is amazing to me because the one thing that we lament about, and I think this is a good place to close, is the the non-corporate progressive movement is not very cohesive down here. It's very cohesive in the Orlando-Tampa I-4 corridor area. It's better there. That's really the one part of the state. you got Ann Escamani, Carlos Guillermo Smith. You've got some good people that are there. Obviously, Maxwell Frost is going to Congress. But- we really have a hard time building a strong coalition here in South Florida. Why do you think that is? <laughs> too, too much money in South Florida and the money is, is, is controlled by the powerful few. And so you can almost tell 
at the start of a race, who's going to win by looking at the bank account, by looking at what lobbyists and what developers are backing a particular candidate. And nine times out of 10, if you pick that candidate that has the most money, they're going to win the race. And so what needs to happen is um, a, a candidate needs to be identified early, a progressive candidate, and then that ground game and the, the way uh, Maxwell Frost won his race, he was already an organizer. He was already a grassroots person. So he was able to get masses of people to support him and make those low dollar contributions. You know, if more people paid attention to local politics, we could we could out fundraise uh, these big uh, lobbyists and developers. Because all we need are large numbers of people to donate five, 10, 20, no more than $50. And that will out fundraise these big $1,000 contributions. Uh, but too many people believe that the only way they can participate in the election process is by voting. But it takes more than voting. You have to vote with your dollar and with your actual vote. But it doesn't have to be a lot of dollars. It has to be a lot of people giving a low dollar amount. Yeah. And I don't have to go run to lobbyists and developers and beg for checks to hold on to my seat. Yeah. And I, this one of the things you did talk about that I always talk about is the revolving door in politics, that the way I want it is I actually want it to come from the activist community into the political community. That's the revolving door that we need to have. And the people that are coming from the streets, basically, and can speak for their people, though, that should be the direction of the revolving door. Absolutely. I agree. If you are not currently following Mike Gellin on social media, make sure that you get to MikeGellin.com and do that, ladies and gentlemen. Also, since early voting is right around the corner, phone banking, text banking, canvassing, and if you can contribute any amount, 5 10 20 $50, as Mike just said, will definitely make all the difference in the world in a local election where we have a representative who not only does right by his community, but is also willing to speak out against the corporatocracy that exists in this county. And very few elected representatives are willing to do that. Mike, you you do walk the walk, and that is what we really need. Final thoughts, anything you want to say before you go, it is always a pleasure to have you on. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I love being on your show. I love you guys. I look forward to seeing you in person. Uh, I just want to encourage everyone to please go out there and vote, but don't just vote. After the election, stay engaged and hold the elected officials accountable. Call on your elected officials when you run into trouble and make sure we do our job and truly represent you. You do that and more. And Mike generational Gellin. change just gave you $100. So. Oh, thank you so much. Thank You're you. You're very welcome. Well, talk about a representative who will put it to good use. Yeah. That is all we need. Mike, a pleasure as always. I am sure, we are both sure, we will see you either at early voting on our election day. We'll be out and about. We're pulling for you. Let's let's bring it home for you, my friend. Have a great evening. Thank you so much for coming. Bye, on. Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh, and you know who else? We need to invite Maury to come on too. Yes, Maury. Out and about. I'm sure we will. Uh, yeah, you know, again, guys. Uh, Mike's good people. Remember, your money is in good hands on our show. Yeah, these are the kinds people. of people we're trying to get into positions of power. People that actually see this as public service. Um, he's good, definitely a good public servant, for sure. 100%. He's also maybe the only public servant that I could think of off the top of my head that has publicly said that he does not like our congresswoman. And that takes courage because most people who are elected in Broward will not cross her under any circumstances. No. But Mike is... Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 
Well, we're waiting wait for a burrow to come back on. This will be a big one. Big one. <laughs> oh my God. You're going to be big. Guys, so, and you cannot do, that is not rings. That is not, that was barely, but it almost happenstance. It wasn't a purposeful ring. No, it's a clicking thing. I've seen it done. That was a ring. I, it, it turned into one, but it, you didn't put it out as one. It, it doesn't matter. It does matter. No, it does. When you blow rings, it's like you have to purposely do it. That one just happened to turn into one. That'd be like saying that cloud is this. Yes, it turned into that. So technical difficulties aside, what else is going on in the horrid world today? I'm sure you must have something to rant about. Uh, I don't like when our guest doesn't show up. Well, maybe he showed up and we weren't here because you were both so dumb. And yet you felt the need to put that out there, Barbara. (laughs) Why are you even here? Like, why are you here? Is that real? I don't, I'm sure. I don't Uh, know. We're both so dumb. That's interesting. Yeah. uh, Yeah, we're, that's us. We're just dumb. Yeah, we're just having fun. So. Now, even Dirtbag Leftist was like, come on, that was a good ring. What's the matter, Jen? You can't do a ring? Huh? It wasn't good. Yeah, it was. It wasn't good. Hang on. All Amazing. right, we're having, we're ha- now we're having guests. But there must be something good for you to talk about. What I can tell you guys, what I've been working on that I think is really interesting is I have been listening to the audiobook Raising Lazarus by Beth Macy. She is also the woman who wrote the uh, Dope Sick. For anybody who hasn't seen the miniseries on Hulu, it's exceptional. And she wrote the book. And then that miniseries was based on her book. And Raising Lazarus is a book of hers that came out in August. I'm listening to it now. She's going to be coming on the show next week um, to talk about, like, what is going on in this country with this opioid crisis. It's out of control. And the amount of resources that are spent policing it instead of treating it is just very counterproductive. So that'll be a really interesting conversation. And I'm very much enjoying listening to that book, but that's, that was what I did today really for work. Unless you want to talk about wicked gypsy work. I have a couple of projects. How is that going? It's good. I have some of my stash boxes at my acupuncturist's office. And today I was working on this big glass urn type thing, but you know, but you must have something political you want to rant about. Well, uh, Nancy Pelosi thinks everything is fine. And it is for the her. only thing that actually matters is whether or not we are uh, talking about Roe v. Wade, because, again, that's really all that matters. It doesn't matter if you don't have a pot to piss in. You know, what's most important is that you understand that women have a right to choose. And and that's all that really matters. It's all that matters. And don't question the Queen Bee because, you know, the Queen Bee gets a little upset. But my God, she is just she really needs to go. Are you talking about Debbie? Well, Debbie needs to go. Are you talking about Pelosi? Pelosi. Okay. We recently got a thing from Debbie, I guess it was some sort of thing with Gabby Giffords. And it was just like, the picture was just so unbecoming and unfortunate. And this is one that her people allowed to go out. Well, it's probably the best one they could find. It's not good at all. That's very unfortunate. Yeah, well, look, I don't blame people necessarily. Jen, I don't like the way your co-host was talking to you during the tech issues. He sounds so childish. He seems like the abusive type. Thanks, Barbara. Appreciate it. Barbara, there's definitely some emotional maturity issues. And there is that. Um, we've been working together for almost four years and I'm very used to him at this point. Um, but yes, there could definitely be some work in that area. 
Thank you, Barbara, for being concerned. And also, this no, is I'm a ter- no, I'm a terrible person. Will you stop it? Now you're straw manning and being like a martyr. No, I'm a terrible. But this person. is not my hu- my husband. Is not doesn't it doesn't do that. Is more emotionally like you know. I appreciate you here anyway. So <laughs> I do. Thanks for looking out for me. We should have hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of people watching, and maybe we can learn a thing or two from a gentleman who knows a thing or two about how this is done. He is also an author of a wonderful new book that we are going to be talking about because let's face it, content creation is the way of the future, and we are doing everything we can in our capacity to try to grow this channel, even though it's not exactly the easiest environment to grow it in. So we are definitely going to learn a thing or two about how it's done. Create something awesome, how creators are profiting from their passion in the creator economy. And this is definitely a creator economy. Roberto Blake, welcome to Generational Change. Hi, how's it going? Can you both hear me loud and clear? Absolutely. Uh, Definitely. How are you? Doing, I'm doing good. It's been a interesting day. Hot Lanta has become cold Lanta, and now it's hoodie season. Interesting. It just takes one day, just one day, and you're in hoodie season. Exactly well, so. <laughs> well, for, by Florida standards, I mean it doesn't bother me because I'm from New Jersey. But it got into the mid 60s today, so I can imagine I'm a lot so of people happy. here. Yeah, it's like people putting their hoodies on and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's all relative. So what kind of like what kind of content are you doing regularly? Like what's your main kind of content that you're putting out? My main content uh, focuses on helping more creators with their content. My content has always been educational in nature on my channel. I've done over 1600 YouTube videos on my main channel, and that's what allowed it to grow to over 500,000 subscribers. So it's not a big secret. It's that I did high value content and slowly it became high quality content with better lighting and better cameras and better audio. So I started with high value and high levels of volume and consistency. So I grew um, using tutorials, teaching people creative software, video editing, graphics, and all those things early on. And uh, in two years, I got to 20,000 subscribers doing that. Uh, In year three, I went nearly daily. And in year three, I got to uh, 100,000 subscribers. Uh, Silver play button from YouTube. They send you an award when you get to 100,000 subscribers. And then uh, I got the old award. Um, I was one of the last people to get the old award. It's the one over there. You can't really see it as much in the background. And then I upgraded. I spent the extra money and said, hey, can you guys just send me the new one? I like the new aesthetic. Just send me the new one. So I paid for the shipping and they sent me the updated um, new award. Um, And so that's kind of cool. So my content helps uh, content creators to make better content and teach a church in them audio, video editing, all those things. But also I teach them how to monetize their creative work so they can make money uh, doing it through um, primarily there are like seven main income streams for content creators. And then I also teach them how to market themselves so they can gain more attention, grow an audience. So attention, monetization, and community are kind of the three pillars. So I help creators with those problems. Yeah, we have not been able to break. We have not been able to hit 8,000. We have not been able to hit 8,000 on YouTube. I mean, we're, we've been in the same range forever. 90% of people never get to 10,000. No one knows that, uh, apparently. I keep breaking people's brains with that statistic. 90% of people wow. never get to 10,000 subscribers. Less than 10% of creators are monetized on the platform, even with YouTube about to roll out some new monetization, lower some requirements. But it's actually really challenging. It's actually very hard to get to uh, 10,000, but feel free to pick my brain. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Are you familiar at all with, with our channel, like stuff we've done, our content or anything? Um, I'm familiar with some interviews, but beyond interviews, uh, not as much. Why don't you uh, tell me what you think the value proposition of the channel is? Okay, so our mission is transforming politics into service. The idea of getting money out of politics and getting rid of corporatization of everything, right? So. Mm -hmm. We do prim primarily long form interviews with a variety of different people, authors, experts that are, that are educational to help basically lead people in both electoral and non-electoral ways to understanding how our government and our lives have been co-opted by this oligarchy. And we need to kind of start forming coalitions and community aid. Like we're sort of just like um, a clearinghouse of community service stuff that we do. Mm -hmm. um, and education. I would say that's like primarily what we do. But um, yeah, we have all different types of topics in, that it would be considered news topics. We're going to be having on the woman who wrote Dope Sick um, and talking with her about the opioid crisis. Next is week. it? I'm actually familiar with that. Um, is is it primarily live streaming the main format? Yes, we we do two um, live streams a week. And then those get broken down into whatever clips like they do like the, and then those we have some there's content going up every day. There's clip going up regularly. Are you familiar with um, there are there are two channels I want to ask if you're familiar with. Are you familiar with Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar? And are you familiar with the Philip DeFranco show? Um, well, I know Breaking Points. I don't know the other one. Phil DeFranco I've heard, but I don't watch his stuff. OK, Phil DeFranco um, is probably the longest standing newscaster on YouTube that is a homegrown YouTuber. He actually had extraordinarily humble beginnings, started with nothing. There was even a point where he had to, at one point, uh, make videos out of his car at one point. Uh, he was, um, so hard times in the early days for young, for a younger Phil, but he's been the YouTube's uh, news source for over a decade now. And he is grassroots, homegrown, right here in the platform, supported directly by the community, not by outside funding, not megacorp, you know, like completely organic homegrown guy, right? So it's a good thing for you to start watching him more just to also um, start to understand framing, modeling, and how he formats his show. And then Crystal and Sagar have done a good job. They come from the traditional world, but they also have adapted very successfully online formats in terms of how their content is broken down from a single live stream into segments that then are easier to chop and cut. So that means even their live streams are filmed and positioned and planned and produced in a way right. easier to cut up later into the segments that they're, uh, they're putting out. So I think that that would actually help you grow tremendously. The other thing is in planning those segments, the segments can be planned in a way to where, yes, you can cover news, but to where they might have more evergreen, do more punch. The big thing that's the barrier to views and views, as you know, is what gets you subscribers is down to a lot of the thumbnails. And I yeah. think the thumbnails on the channel could be greatly improved without Without you guys having to master like Photoshop, the thumbnails can be improved if you really look at the approach that I would say both um, – I would say Breaking Points does a better job of thumbnails than The Hill does. And there was a channel called um, – they're not uploading anymore, but I think they were called – God, what was it? It was um, – I'm trying to remember the name of this YouTube channel, but it was during the um, – 2020 elections 
I'm, if I can remember, I will shoot you a link to the channel, but there was this podcast YouTube channel that was um, doing kind of what you intend to do. And they were able to get to like, I think 50,000 subscribers. Granted, they had the momentum of the 2020 election behind them. So um, I think that there is something to that. It, like largely, I think the thumbnails and the headlines being punchy, you guys have more, I think, of a service mission than just a, a newscast of pulling headlines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think that the way to do it, though, is to draw people in with the headlines, but also substantively tie your mission to the headline stories that already capture attention. Does that make sense when I say it? I mean, he's been doing that more so lately, like being very, you know, conscientious of what the headline is that you're putting on this stuff. Yeah, like for I do the thumbnails and sometimes I'm more inspired than others. Like, for example, like we had a string of a few videos recently that did very well. We we clipped um, the interview that Al Franken gave uh, where he really went to task on this uh, <laughs> political operative that was just, you know, reading basically, you know, handmade talking points, uh, you know, or for hand fed talking points like they weren't really, you know, independent thought or anything. And that did pretty well. Uh, we did a video um Jen, uh, your short clip um, that was uh, done. I never here. understand why things go, more people look at them than others. Well, the YouTube short that we did with the pixie hair when you were. I know. I don't understand well, why that. Shorts, well, the shorts algorithm is very much like TikTok. So it's much more, right. it's much more streamlined. And the thing is, it's not necessarily giving people um, a choice to opt in, opt out. So it's much more incidental discovery. So those always perform better. Okay, so how do we switch more of those? Yeah, and then it also depends on our guests. Like, for example, we had um, Michael Schellenberger and Ryan Grimmon recently talking about what does the future of energy look like in this country if we're going to get away from coal and natural gas and the talking point about nuclear, which is a very hot-button issue right now. So that video uh, and that clip ended up getting, I think, like 1,700 views or something like that. And as a result... You know, you'll notice 30, 40, 50 new subscribers like we've done a decent job of getting, uh, you know, a, a decent amount just coming on. This isn't like, you know, the pre ad apocalypse days where you yeah. get a day where you can get one to two thousand subscribers in a day and really change that. So you know. there um, there are channels that are coming up in uh, in news and in commentary that are getting those numbers even post ad apocalypse. Uh, for those of the viewers who may not be familiar, there was um, something in 2017 that we refer to as the adpocalypse. It was a mass advertiser boycott due to controversy on the platform. And then there have been four generations of advertiser boycotts and withdrawals, but largely they became a corporate leveraging point through pearl clutching to try to strong arm concessions out of YouTube. And it ended up limiting some things for creators. It was very unfortunate. So when we say adpocalypse, just to keep everybody on the same page. That's what we're referring to. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, corporate strong arming involved in that uh, under the guise of benevolent pearl clutching of, oh, think of the children um, as per usual. Um, what I will tell you is this. I can see a direct correlation between uh, thumbnails that are more um, either relying more on a photo or on a person and are well done I really feel like your barrier to views largely comes down to the thumbnails because thumbnails are a perception of quality uh, to people. And it's just something that's very difficult for people to get past. 
um, in terms of the thumbnails. And the thing is, there's also not a consistency in the style of a lot of your thumbnails, and they would be harder to read on mobile. I would venture that maybe 70% of your viewing audience might be mobile users. So I can't see your analytics, but I'm I'm guessing that that's probably the case since over 85% of the entire platform is mobile users now. Um, but I would say probably like 60, 70% of your users are probably mobile, which means that every thumbnail you do needs to, like the, a face probably needs to take up half of the thumbnail. You need to make sure text never hits the timestamp in the bottom right corner. And I would say that, um, you know, someone else who's doing really good, are you guys familiar, uh, familiar? you probably are with um, David Pakman? Yeah, we are. Sure. Yeah. All right. So like um, what he's got going over there along with, um, God, there, there's another recent one. He grew more during the pandemic. He does very hard hitting stuff. Um, I'm spacing on his name now because I've like, really turned off a lot of anything political, but um, I'm spacing on his name. I want to say, I, like, is his name Brandon something? Um, he's he's this guy, he has a podcast and he his stuff is very clean, very aesthetically clean. Um, but I think that a lot of what uh, David Pakman is doing makes a lot of sense. But this, the other thing is with David Pakman, his thumbnails are very strong. They're very strong if you look at his thumbnails and they do draw you in and they feel like, okay, if I watch the video behind this thumbnail, it's going to feel like a high quality video. So I think that when you really get and nail those thumbnails and when you have maybe like a color or something that makes it easy to recognize your thumbnails, at least a color. I don't think you need a logo. I don't think logos. Yeah, go all right, go go with Yeah, go with the purple then, uh but not maybe a logo at all in the right. thumbnail just yeah. because then the color at least cuz the good news with your purple is it works on dark and light backgrounds. So that's good news. We don't have um, logos on our thumb. I don't put logo on our thumbnail. No, I'm saying good. I'm just also it's yeah. a note to the audience too of like, yeah. hey, you don't need to put logos on your thumbnails, y'all. Yeah. But Mobile viewers like put everything into the idea that okay, people are on their phone all the time now. Everyone's addicted to their phone, unfortunately. So, if and YouTube also changed the app recently to make thumbnails on the phone even bigger. So, prioritize the thumbnails, use as little text as possible when necessary, and really prioritize. I would say, if there's any way in most of your YouTube thumbnails, to work in the cast of the com- current political theater. <laughs> I, try I do try to, but you know what? I appreciate you telling me like not that the words are not a thing because I sit there and I'm a writer type person and I sit there and I struggle to come up with like the right thing. And it's not, and I'm realizing now it's probably not even important. Yeah. Not in the thumbnail right, words. Use your writing skill. About. Yeah. Yeah. Use your writing skill for the titles. Titles matter the most, but thumbnails visually cleaner less is more clean right. but also use those cast of political figures there's like um nancy pelosi aoc yeah. biden trump harris obama uh use the um you know the standard cast of, in the political theater show run this season this season on america <laughs> like, is. that is what it feels well that is what it is i mean it is such political theater but yeah. i do whenever it's relevant like but i feel like i'm not comfortable doing it just for the sake of doing it like it has yeah, to no be- if it's relevant absolutely right. but even if it's tangentially relevant though 
Yeah. Like, because it's going to draw the viewer in. Don't make it clickbait. Don't lie. But the thing is, if you can tie a talking point of any kind to Washington, then it's worth putting a Washington player in the uh, thumbnail. I think it's justified in the sense of, like, theoretically, you could even look to, okay, in theory, who is potentially accountable or is in the realm of accountability over this issue that you want to talk about? So, I mean, it's, I think it's worth um, considering. Um, so that, that's a thought. The other thing is when you can't use a person, maybe use a recognizable symbol. Things that we kind of – because with visual graphics – I was a graphic designer for a living. We, we try – like if we can't recognize a face, we need to be able to identify a concept and understand it. Okay. So like, you know, things like arrows going down because of the market being down or right. something like um, money on fire because of inflation. We um, a really good thumbnail is money on fire because of inflation. And then maybe um, Biden holding his head in his hand or something. I, I wish you were looking at ours so you could be pointing out. specific. Am, one. Oh, are you? Because some of them yeah. I kind of do what you're talking about. Like I'm trying to like I, some of them I get so in my head. You know, yeah. and it's and and then it's just me. And I also have like a very kind of like I don't know. My my son calls me like a thesaurus. So like for me, <laughs> I get in. Yeah, I'm not very pedestrian. The the Bernie and Trump one was good, but their heads are too small. Okay. They're and the text small. the text runs into the timestamp. Okay. So that like makes it impossible to read too. So, um. If it had been Bernie and Trump with their heads bigger and then just the verses in between them. Right. And then maybe if the um, Photoshop filter was like slightly edgier and everything, yeah. that's like it's like, oh, fight, 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 fight. So uh, it's um, it that becomes a little bit better. But again, it's a hard thing to do for most people. Yeah. Like most people aren't Photoshop people. Right. So like that's a hard skill. Some people don't even have Photoshop. There are alternatives that are free. Like there's a thing called photop.com, not sponsored, not affiliated. It's totally free. It's a browser-based thing. And it's photop spelled like photo, but then P like peas in a pod, P-E-A.com. And anybody can use this for free. And and they get basically Photoshop-like capabilities. They get kind of like a bootleg Photoshop in a browser. So they don't even have to download anything. There are some annoying ads, but like you get to use free Photoshop. Then that lets you up your graphics. Canva, like that's- Canva's good, but you don't get to do as much of the like photo retouching. Canva's good for assembling and graphic design and text and layout, but you don't get to do like the photo retouching and like, you know, really sharpen up things um, like just the eyes or something like that or just the face. And like, oh, that's just so above anything I feel like I'm qualified to do. Now we're talking like Adobe level stuff, which is yeah. not, it's really about like, I'm just like, our whole thing is just, it's us. This is it. I did everything. Actually, I still do most of it. I do everything myself except for my coaching business, which I hired family that helps me. And I have another full-time remote employee that helps me and I hire freelancers. But the thing is I did everything. And most YouTubers actually, even, even people at hundred K I literally still do everything by myself. That being said though, I think that, and this is a good tip for the audience. It's like these, you can increase your skill. Don't be intimidated. You can increase your skill in something and as little as 30 minutes a day, if you do it enough days in a row, 
and you also are tying that skill to something you really enjoy, a mission that you're passionate about, you improve little by little, piece by piece, inch by inch. Because you didn't know how to use a camera, I'm sure, when you first got started or, or how to use quality podcast mics. You guys have great podcast mics. Like these are things that you learn, StreamYard, learning how to do that. It right. wasn't that complicated, but you, you start out knowing nothing about it. You can Absolutely. improve. And I'm not that far. Like we, we rely on like help from people and I'm like the oldest person in this whole affiliated group of people. Oh, wow. So yeah. Um, like when you're telling me, I remember those things. I remember not having a computer. I remember not having a cell phone. Like I remember that yeah. um, it was a thing. So for me, it's somewhat challenging. I do have a good eye, like design wise and writing wise. I have sort of artistic capability, but it's not tech. And that's where it gets common. So when you talk about like retouching photos and all that stuff, like to be honest, it's just so, yeah, it's just not, a th- I mean, I do the best I can with like the time that I've got, but I mean, like, I don't know that I have it in me to sit there and really be so into the graphics of this. I hear you, but that's the barrier to the viewers. That's the barrier yeah. to the viewers. They perceive quality. We're speaking with Roberto Lake, author of Create Something Awesome, How Creators Are Profiting from Their Passion in the Creator Economy. One of the things that I did notice, and again, granted, it's kind of like politics with name recognition, but Russell Brand, obviously, his channel blew up very, very quickly. And what he does with his channel, as I'm sure you've observed, is that when it comes to titles, he keeps it like very simple, but you know you want to click that button. His titles are like the National Enquirer. Yeah, they are, but they work. It works. Yeah. It works. I mean, here's the thing. There's a lot of, and I'm reading also the chat and everything. And look, people can have their views and they can, anything they want. I'm just here to help you guys potentially, you know, maybe get some more traction. And the thing is the general, the general community of viewers, casual viewers on the internet and YouTube are visually driven. That's why they watch video or they would only listen to podcast is there's visually driven. And so the visuals... People are shallow by nature. People are aesthetic by nature. Everyone does judge a book by its cover. So things like photography, aesthetic, these things matter, wardrobe, things like that, all of it. And we know that there are people who maybe wouldn't be famous if it wasn't for their aesthetics, if it wasn't for how they look or how they style themselves. We all know that. It's not a wonderful thing to accept sometimes, but it is a reality. So then we think about what can we do to slightly improve in these areas and Um, and things like that. And yes, none of the people I'm mentioning, maybe some of the audience hasn't heard of them. And no, none of these people are field journos. And you know what? The thing is, if you notice it, just speaking as a marketer, by the way, just speaking as a marketer and as a business person, the news industry, which is why I don't like to watch the news and I don't like to watch any of this stuff anymore. The news industry abandoned field journalism a long time ago because it was cost effective to go to studio and opinion-based things and not do field reporting. And the thing is, the only field reporting left is left to independent journalists, but that was also affected by the pandemic. So even those people became grossly underfunded, they were grassroots, and the thing is, the people who supported them didn't have money to keep supporting them either. So all of that dried up as well, which left you with talking heads on the internet one way or another, or talking heads in a corporate newsroom so you can take your pick. And that's just how it is. That is the market responding to the way that one people consume the, by the way, the consumerism around these internet talking heads, you can't argue with the numbers. Numbers are reality. So look at what's happening. Look at all these people doing numbers. Look at all these people who did grow. Look at all these people who are doing it now or have been for years. They have a model that's working. 
it's very difficult to resist um, the the facts that are in front of you and the figures that are in number of you. Numbers really um, don't care because we can tell ourselves whatever we want. The numbers will tell us the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. And what I was also thinking is if we were, I mean, some there was always a suggestion that you just need to get over this particular hump and things will kind of open up. Do you see getting over the 10,000 mark, which is not, it's again, we're, we're not that far from 8,000. It's not like it's an unattainable number. If we really commit to, you know, potentially doing some, obviously doing the things you suggested have been great. And if we were to stay consistent on that for a few months, it's very possible that we could get there after you pass the $10,000 mark, Mm. the the 10,000 subscriber mark. I said dollar. Yeah, I'm thinking about money. (laughs) Very little. Would you say that that would, uh, would have a considerable impact on the channel? It has an impact on the creator. It doesn't algorithmically affect anything in the background. It psychologically affects the creator more often than not. There's two things that happen. Either someone becomes more confident and more refined in what they're doing and get to 10,000 and then keep growing from there, or they grind it out, get to 10,000, and now they have this new confidence. They've broken through uh, what felt for them an insurmountable uh, you know, ceiling that they could not penetrate before. And then it instills them with a level of confidence that then is conveyed in every action they take on their stuff. The audience that now is not even familiar with them starts to see this more confident person is more engaged, more active. They subscribe more. And then that's, that's what I've seen so many times talking to literally over the last decade, thousands of creators in person at events, live streams, reviews, all of it. And this seems to be the commonality is that the things that aside from all the aesthetic, aside from all the branding, there's like a correlation between how many views you get in a lifetime and how many subscribers you get. But the thing that makes that number of how many views you have to get to get those subscribers smaller becomes largely personality driven in terms of people becoming invested in you. And what makes people invested in someone else Typically, one of the features and characteristics, aside from alignment of values, is how confident they feel that person presents in what they do and how they are and every other way that they deliver. And then also, as somebody does that, they come into more of their identity. They stop holding back, which means they end up overcoming a lot of their own limiting beliefs in terms of the execution of their content. They take more risk because, okay, I've got 10,000 now. Now it's all gravy. Everything's a blessing after this. It's my playground. And so then they actually start um, experimenting more because they don't feel like they lose something now by doing it because they're like, because in most people's heads, they go, if I could just get to 10,000, I'll be happy. So that's what changes. What changes is the creator and the relationship they have with what they're making most of the time. Okay, so I'm looking at like thumbnails from where you were suggesting. And it's like, I see it. It's just, it's basically the same thing every day with just a different picture on it. They're basically the same thing and every single day. They, yeah, they change. They use a templating system. So when people know, oh, that's that video. That's like, that's the thing I liked before. So now that's the thing I'm getting. Remember, people are creatures of habit. What a lot of these people are doing is they're becoming someone's morning routine and morning habit. People are waking up with Crystal and Sagar. People stop what they're doing on YouTube after they get off work and tune into the Philip DeFranco show Monday through Thursday. Like rituals are matter or something that matter. And if you become someone's habit or daily ritual, 
then that ends up being very important to them. And the thing is, if they have an easy visual at a glance to identify you, like if your favorite restaurant changes something, you immediately know. Like yeah. everyone, like, wait, why is it different? Nope. It's like, why is that not number three anymore? Change it back. <laughs> like that's what yeah. happens. No, that's true. I mean, I, I get, I'm just, I feel like I'm overly thinking it and overly creative, like, and not just putting up what people need to just see to like friend, friend of the show comedy calamity mentions that, um, you know, the reason why their particular channel took off was the consistency of the morning on daily shorts. Do you have any recommendation as far as particular times of the day that it makes sense to drop a video? There's a, there's not a specific time of day, but the framework for it is, is your audience active, awake, and aware? Are they on the platform during this time? And do you have a way to know that they would be active on the platform? Aside from the data YouTube gives you, do you know based on the geography of the majority of your audience across time zones, what a sweet spot time zone is based on largest pool of audience? So you actually just hit on a point which we haven't even addressed yet, which again, thankfully for you coming on here, it just rang true, which is we see that if our show extends into sort of the nine, 10 o'clock hour at night, we will see a bump in terms of the viewership. I'm wondering, since we don't normally drop a video, a clip at like nine, 10 o'clock at night, maybe that might make sense. Maybe I don't know. I mean, we, uh, we always hey, How many uploads a day? One or two at most. If but, you were going to do three and let's say one of them was going to be a short, by the way, shorts are growing channels like crazy, by the way. Yeah. Like shorts are, we shorts are going up though, right? Aren't those going? Yeah, that's, yeah. We have some of those going yeah, up. Yeah, but, they are getting a lot of hits. But here's the thing. Um, what you see from a lot of the news channels is they're doing three to five videos a day. And a lot of them are doing, um, Crystal and Sager are concentrating on mornings. Some other people are doing this. They're doing morning, afternoon, and night. They're doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So the thing is, I think that a lot of your audience is probably like one. I think if you post a short in the morning, the morning is the best opportunity probably for you guys to post a short. And it's the thing that has the most potential to reach people who aren't familiar with your content. Right. So by posting a short and uh, tapping into that audience as early as possible, that could be very good for you. Then I think that if you get maybe a video out in the afternoon. Like, and the thing is, it depends on when it is, right? And then if the live show can hit the after work, working class crowd and be the thing that they tune into when they get off of work, then I think that that can do it. And yes, Bo from the uh, fifth column, he does I three. Bo. Yeah, Bo is like, yeah, yeah I, I really do. Yeah, but you've always made me not, he's like, you're, you're putting too many out in one day. And so no, we've spread them so. out. Yeah, no, but YouTube I lets you have notifications. You can post as many as you want, but YouTube does notifications to your subscriber base, which is where your initial views come from. But again, it's not always the best idea. Sometimes it's, uh, you don't make stuff for the subscribers. You make stuff for the new people, but uh, YouTube does notifications three times a day. However, people shouldn't think about or rely on the subscribers because YouTube shows your videos majority to people who aren't subscribed to you majority of the time. If you're getting and reaching your subscribers, you usually get the smallest overall like uh, viewership if it's mainly your subscribers. YouTube doesn't always do a good job of notifying the subscribers, by the way. They've been working on it but you know it's pretty bad. If you look in analytics, the data always tells us, oh crap, more than 50% of our views came from non-subscribers. The good news is 
if we reach non-subscribers and they like it though, they become subscribers and maybe they watch more videos. So that helps you get to that 10K hump, but it's rough. There's a reason 90% of people struggle with it, but I think you guys have the potential. I think that if you go like a newscaster show, podcast type vibe, I think if there are some graphical updates just because of the perception of the graphics and the books judged by its cover, you get more views. If you get more views, you have potential for people to like what you're doing and support it. So uh, attention up front answers most problems because if you harness attention, if you harness what people's feelings and emotions and concerns and priorities are, because that's the other thing, what gets clicked is what is proven to be a priority to somebody. Do shorts get thumbnails? No, they don't. Those okay. shorts are the exception. And maybe shorts is a good outlet for your overthinking because then it's just the content. Shorts are just content. It's just the video and the title and that's all you get. So yeah. maybe shorts really helps you. I would consider I mean, posting daily way. shorts. I would consider okay. daily shorts. Daily shorts. Yeah, let's do, let's do that. Let's make a let's make that a consistency going forward. We'll, we'll work on that. We are speaking. Ben's with, like, yeah. What have you done for me lately? No, we took care of. You. I know, but we're just we're 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 a sad, struggling little nonprofit we're doing well, situation. Hopefully get better, and then it'll help. <laughs> we're speaking with Roberto Blake. Create something awesome. How creators are profiting from their passion in the creator economy. Why should somebody buy your book, and what are you hoping that they'll get out of it if they read it? If anyone in the audience for any reason can't afford my book, I arranged it so that they can actually order it for free to their public local library Ooh. for $0. Right. I also arranged it so that it does have a pure ebook form, not just Kindle, so that it can be actually done through the Libby app from your local library system. So make sure that you... Um, you know, support your local library and understand that your local library is there to support you. And, um, you know, I've always been a big proponent of libraries, media centers, community centers. They were very uh, good to me growing up. And I think um, actually when I was in school, I actually signed up for the, um, the media team at school and actually basically became the assistant librarian when I was in uh, high school. Um, so the, uh, I was also on the school web design team cause I'm a big old nerd like that. I learned how to code at 13. Um, this is by the way, 25 years ago. Cause I'm like, believe it or not, I'm like, I'm 38. I'm an old man. Um, so watch what you say, Roberto <laughs> on the internet. That makes me ancient on the internet. These like, on the internet, these kids, if you're over 30, like these kids today, you know. How they, old is Ben? 51. Oh, that's not bad. Like, but, but anyone over 30, <laughs> as far as Gen Z is concerned, might as well be a senior citizen. It's true. Yeah. It's true. But so, you know what's funny is it's the inverse is true. As the older I get, the less I can distinguish people that are younger. And once somebody is young enough to be my child, then that's all one group of people. Uh, so. Uh, older I get, that group gets bigger and bigger. I know, right? I can't like, distinguish 20 from 30. Like, I don't know. It's They're getting playing. there. It's getting there. Like, so I, I agree. But like I was saying, people can get the book for $0 from their local library. They can also take advantage of the Libby app. I don't want people who, if they can't afford it for some reason, to feel they have to go out of their way. Uh, the main thing is, if you want to do content creation seriously, either as more than a hobby that becomes a side hustle or as a full-time career, 
I wrote this book with the perspective of that and not just a how-to book or another YouTube how-to book. I actually cover YouTube, podcasting, and live streaming. Podcasting is actually the cheapest option out of all content creation besides writing itself. Besides writing itself, um, podcasting is the cheapest, most affordable, most accessible outlet, um, accessible outlet, and it's reasonably priced. I wrote the book with the perspective of helping somebody one, if they do decide to do this, or God forbid, because every child wants to be a creator and influencer, you have a way to understand what they're talking about. So if you have children who say, oh, I want to be an influencer, if you read this book, you'll understand what they're talking about. You'll understand what makes money from it and whether it's viable and appropriate for them in their situation. You'll understand how to support them. You'll understand how to talk to them about this. And you'll understand to some extent how to keep them safe. So that's in the book. If you're a creator and you're doing this and you're an adult, you'll you'll not only have tactical, actionable advice around content creation, the production, the planning, uh, publishing, producing, but you will also understand the monetization aspects of it, how it makes money, why it makes money, what those things look like. And also, if you end up doing business with brands, you'll understand a little bit about negotiation and setting boundaries with your brands, which is not talked about enough. But I also wanted to include some realistic things here about online bullying, mental health, staying authentic to your audience, not feeling like a sellout and knowing how to make this right size in your life. Because a lot of people do this and they get absorbed, they get obsessed and they get overwhelmed and they overwork themselves and it becomes a real problem. Uh, burnout's a real thing that happens. Even the biggest creators struggle with burnout, depression, um, anxiety over their uploads. They overthink things no matter, like in fact, the bigger you get, the more you feel like it's all gonna implode and go away. Um, it happens all the time. I've met creators with millions of subscribers that have massive depression spirals once a year uh, for whatever reason. And it gets, it's, get, it's, re it's really challenging also sometimes when you start doing content creation to know who your friends in the space are. And even sometimes it can isolate you. It gets lonely. It can alienate you. Because you, working from home, as nice as it sounds, isn't always healthy mentally for people if they end up um, becoming completely detached and then the only relationships they have are through a screen. It actually becomes wildly unhealthy and depressing for a lot of people. Um, and it's a big change. It's a big thing to get used to. So I wrote this book to be a framework and a guide for people that are entering this, are curious about it, and especially knowing that a lot of the parents out there do not understand this and their kids keep telling them that this is their dream. So it gives people a practical guide. It breaks it down. It's an easy read. And um, it's what I would have liked to have had when I got started. When I got started, no one told you anything. I ended up signing some bad contracts and deals early in my career because there was no information. Um, you know, so I got screwed out of money. There was a lot of things that I wish I had known when I started about making it more practical. Um, and also, I think that there's a lot of pressure today with young people to succeed at this. And they feel like if they don't reach a certain number or they don't do certain things that it, it doesn't matter or it's meaningless or they don't feel seen. And I wanted to write some aspects of this book to be more encouraging, but also help them be more realistic and understand that like 90% of people don't get to 10,000, but hey, like 5,000 people is the entire San Diego Convention Center. You, if you sell a couple thousand tickets, you would have sold out a concert. You could have 8,000 subscribers and that might be the same size of an audience of one of Taylor Swift's biggest performances. So, you know, it's about 
giving people some perspective about all of this and not just all the glitz and the glam and that there are some real underlying issues in the industry. There are some challenges and that if you want this, it is a real career. It is just as much work as anything else if you want it. So yeah. that's why I wrote it. Very well said. And uh, no, we we do this. I, I wouldn't say it, it's done necessarily. I mean, it is technically a hobby if you really want to get down. Uh, well, to it. I mean, we started this. We transitioned our congressional campaign uh, following into a platform that I decided I want to do a podcast where I can be educating people on the policies, the issues. Um, and instead of just throwing away that campaign platform, because he had like, I don't know, he's like 50 something thousand Twitter followers. I'm like, all right. So clearly we have somebody's attention. So I started out doing um, it wasn't a live stream. It was just me doing long form interviews for a podcast to sort of create this library of information for people right. on different topics. And then it just sort of became this sort of fun thing to do it live. And people were liking like they think we have a good chemistry. Like it's just it's sort became of a community. Yeah, like just, yeah, like just we get that a lot. And it just sort of turned into a fun thing where we would have people on together and then it became that. But to me, at the core of it, it's still putting out informational podcast material that is for people to learn and learn under things. It isn't just about like talking crap. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the oh, core sure, of it right. is a podcast. So that's where it came we've noticed from. we've noticed a, a number of channels in the as I'm sure you have in the political sphere. And, you know, there are those who do it in what I would consider to be more of a refined way. And yes, I know, Jen, you have your I mean, look, I like Vosh. I think Vosh, you know, definitely knows. I'm not stuff. really familiar with him. He's uh, he's very successful. He's like Hassan uh, in the sense that. You know, they're they're political commentators. And yes, ah, commentary. OK, yeah. Commentary channels. OK. Yeah. And they're very, and look, they they dunk. There's no question that part of their shtick is mm -hmm. that they like to dunk on either other content. I, I would say that makes them more entertainment based, like commentary often becomes entertainment based. I think you're trying to be more education. I'm more education. Yes, yes we are more education I'm with sorry. a little bit of comedy. We're, I think. We're, OK, yes. so that's great. What about more? things that are resources that are even in like how to do this, how to do that. Because like there are a lot of people who don't know um, a lot about how to do local organizing or yeah. how to run for office if that's something I want to do or how I mean, to organize a community event or how to organize um, and build uh, like how to build a grassroots organization or a pact or anything like that or how to in some cases some people don't know how to um, vote in a primary or an open primary, or they don't know how to split a ticket, or they don't know how to do ranked choice voting, or they don't know. Right. There's so many things that are very complicated that people just don't know how to do. And part of my success was, I was like, can I simplify something software wise? Like you said, you're intimidated by like Photoshop or certain yeah. aspects. Like I made stuff for people that would make them not feel stupid if they open up a piece of software. That was how I initially grew my channel. Right. What's so interesting is this summer, I don't know if my friend, if Rachel, if you're watching this, shout out to Rachel. Um, she actually was kind of saying exactly what you're saying and actually started making a list 
of topics that regular people would want to know about that I would explain to her. And she's like, God, I, I think everybody would want to know this. And she started sort of making this list and it would almost be like a schoolhouse rock civics for grownups kind of. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's what, and she started that like list. So I do have a bunch of things like that. I mean, we originally started thinking it would be like a civics lesson, but it just is better when it's more conversational. Like I'm just better, more conversational than I am in terms of like, I don't do well with like teleprompter. There is one other thing that we do. Which I don't, I don't use uh, scripts or teleprompters, by the way. What I do is I just, I memorize data points and I usually internalize data points. And then I just do my content cold. I use bullet points to ground me and that's it. Right. And I do too. I always, like, I never have a pre-written anything. Well, tell me how you would do, how, tell me how you would make this fall up, Roberto. Okay. So you okay. what he does. I really appreciate you coming on this evening. You've got a lot of great ideas. I could probably use a few for myself. If we're going to make America great again, again, then we're definitely going to have to take some advice from this guy. He writes a okay. book. I got it. I got it. If you're going to do a skit like that, you do a skit like that where you almost make it like a um, like, Jen, you could like pretend you're interviewing or you're doing like press conference mode. And then it's like and then you have the uh, Trump heads response like it's well, like we normally do it where I'll interact with it. It's so funny because he gets very method and it's gross. And he does. Build- <laughs> He does Bill Clinton. He does Bernie Sanders. and he. Does oh, it's people. perfect. So if you literally do a like, you know, and here's Bernie to weigh in on the issue and then it's Bernie or it's like, and here is former President Trump to weigh in on the issue or here yeah, is. I'm totally not the former so, president. I'm still the president. Believe me when I tell you. I'm oh, totally he's good. He's good. good. Really good. You want to see Bernie? No, let's do it. Like, this is hilarious. No, this stick, this shtick could yeah, be very funny. Friends who are like, oh, I don't like it when he does that, but they're older people. I would try it in shorts. Well, they're older, but they might be also just serious minded. Because thing is, yes. I think you could be older and still like comedy. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, look, at my age, I tend to be very serious, but I also understand a lot of the problems that exist in this country right now. I think you have to do it with a suit on. In either case, I think you have to do it with a suit. I think you have to fully commit. Hilarious with the T-shirt, though. Like it's so funny. Um, All right. Well, you know what? All right. Give me a second. I, Oh, you know what? If you do it, if you do it with the shirts, but you do it with the shirts that are the opposite of the person, like you do Trump with a Bernie shirt, Bernie with a Trump shirt, like you do like something like that. That's hilarious. And the thing is, by the way, I think that those could be great for shorts. By the way, those could be. We talked about, but on the weekend, maybe, maybe on the weekend. Okay. See, there you go. That's a good that way during the week, you can make sure you're hitting whatever you want to hit for sure during yeah, the week. Yeah. But then on the weekend, you can post some of these. My, this is probably my best. This one's really good, but it's so like, I honestly feel like I need to move over. It's so gross. <laughs> That's amazing. Anytime I come on these shows, I, I, I never let Hillary know about this because I get a lot of trouble. <laughs> but, but Jen, you're looking mighty lovely. It's, so gross. Thing, it's so gross. Uh, <laughs> like he does the Biden one. I'm like, he's going to try to smell my hair. I don't know who this guy is, but he probably talks about some relevant stuff. Uh, he, he wrote a book. Yeah, I, I wrote a book, too. I know I, about I, your book. to go to jail. <laughs> that was my book. Uh, but, you know. Did you write that on Epstein's Island? Uh, I was never there. You were on Epstein's you're Island. Whatever. Uh, but you definitely do a great job, Roberto. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Uh <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna have to read. He's good. He's good. He's good. I know. Now I should stop teaching those master classes and just start my own podcast. Yeah, that's what you should do. Um, <laughs> you guys should teach your master class on how to go to prison. Yeah, he's a bad guy. But anyway, yeah. So those are my three ones that uh, that I do, and 
I, I've suggested having a. Well, I've suggested a couple of other ones. If he I does have, other ones, but those the three political ones are more. I, I do a good Marlon Brown. A man who doesn't spend time with his family can never call himself a real man. You must respect your godfather. See, I can do a good Marlon Brando. I can do the. Yeah, That's I can do a good one. Really good. Well, I, I I have to say it's been, of course, if if Jason or Graham were seeing this right now, I do see the stormtrooper uh, head in the background. Yep. I think that is obviously really cool. Well, of course you noticed it. You well, must- this is the guy who is head of the AV club. This <laughs> is that's you, right? Yes, of course. Of course. So yeah, no. So it's like no, I can do a, I can um the voice of Emperor Palpatine is probably my greatest impression. Your feeble skills are no match for the That's powers really of my voiced over abilities. Very good. That's very good. So yeah, no, I can uh that one uh I used to be able to do a good Yoda. Um that one strains my voice a little too much though, so I can't do that as much anymore. But it's like uh, mm, forgetful we are. Yeah, like I can, eh, I can kind of do it, but uh, Palpatine and Brando are probably my best uh, impressions. Oh, but I could also come on here and tell you what a great book you have. You've got to read the content creator. Oh, that's really good. You're, you're, you're very, you're very good at the voices and everything. That that, that was that was great. But I think that you know what we haven't been able to do, which I would love for us to be able to do, is to incorporate that comedic approach and get some type of like a real viral moment that will allow the channel to grow. Well, maybe what we need to do is have. I think the shorts are that, though. I think the shorts are that. Yeah, I think that, and I also think we could be doing little civics lessons with those guys. Oh yeah. So all right. So watch this. So like. Bernie explains, Trump explains, and right. it's like all in the YouTube shorts as exactly. quickly as possible with, uh, you know, Clint, Bill Clinton explains. And it's all in the YouTube shorts because then you don't have to worry about thumbnails. It's people scrolling through and then they'll go, what is this? And then they'll get intrigued. And so there's the allure to that. All so right. the shorts. Yeah. So the sure. thing is, you can have these um, funny moments and it can still teach a lesson because and then it's like. Wait, Bernie explains. Wait, what's that? Be? Oh, like, oh, this is hilarious. Oh, it's like, oh my God, the voice. And the- I could totally, like we can have Bernie explain the electoral I college. Totally explain how not to get indicted. It's really great. You know, just something is, I mean, again, you can- Oh, wait, you know what? You can have um, Clinton and Trump explain impeachment to the people. That would be uh, hilarious. Yeah. That would be hilarious. Yeah. That's a good plan. You could have um, get them to you could have um, either of them explain how like from a civic standpoint, you can explain the fifth, uh, like pleading the fifth and the Fifth Amendment and not incriminating yourself. You can, yeah, that's really funny. So you can have them. Yeah, Bill teaches fifth. Bill teaches the Fifth Amendment. It's I sort told, of like mocking the master you know, I class. I made sure to teach uh, Trump everything he knows because we made sure to get uh, the Senate to, you know, not in, not convict. Because if you don't like someone, they get arc incited. Uh, yeah. And by the way, the um like shorts, you have nothing as a smaller channel to lose by trying YouTube shorts and trying them and seeing if anything um uh, it, it hits. And yes, uh, right. uh comedy calamity legal eagle is great. Uh Devin Stone is a friend of mine. He's uh really talented. He's one of the best. I've known him since he was a much smaller uh YouTuber and he's blowing up. He's crushing it. And shorts were a big part of what helped mainstream his channel as well. So there is a way to explain things uh to people with a little bit of comedic flair. And also in general, I think more um even how-to videos that are straight played straight for the older audience that right. just helped them. Like, I mean, 
in general, there's not like a major channel on YouTube that I'm aware of that teaches general civics. And we used to have civics when I was in school. We had civics and we had Pell. We had what was called Pell, uh, Political Economic Legal Systems. And uh, it was one of my favorite classes. And the thing is, you learned a lot about how your country works. And that's not something that a lot of people, young adults, people voting, but also even some older citizens are becoming politically active for the first time in their life because things are affecting them and they don't know how um, just very um, real aspects of even their local politics um, work. Do you realize that the average um, person, even in their 20s to 30s, can't name all three branches of government and can't explain what their uh, powers and provisions are? Oh, yes, but oh, that's, no, no, deliberate. No. that's deliberate. That's we, we've, we've canvassed for a lot of campaigns. We've talked to a lot of just regular people going door to door. We are very keenly aware of what the average person does not know politically. I um, would make a list of 100 of those topics, and then I would start to try to tackle and address them. Some of them can tie to current events and news headlines. Some of them will not. Some of them are really important, even if there's something about, like, to be honest, you could do something about knowing um, your rights. And it wouldn't be wrong to put Kamala in the like thumbnail, you know, per se, uh, given her previous, uh, you know, career um, with regard to California. There was like, that's not something that's out of pocket to do if you want to get attention. Um, well, not all of those things are something that can be short, though. That's my. That that's one wouldn't be a short. That one would be right, maybe about, like civics quick. education, like right. more complicated. Jenison. Those become 10 minute explainer videos, though. OK. Jen is an attorney by trade. So there you go. Yeah. I don't advertise that. But I'm just I, I'm trying. I want to be an artist. I have this artist. Business. You are an artist. And no, an, I'm and trying an to be an artist. I want to be an artist. I am an attorney, but I want to be an artist. You so. know, that's a, there's a lot of people in the legal um, community that moved over to YouTube and finally got to express themselves creatively in a way they've never gotten to do before tapped into themselves. That's part of even one of the things I talk in the book is you can take something you're good at, something you know very well. And then you have to align that to something you're passionate about. But to make it sustainable so you're not a starving artist, you have to also align it to, okay, how is that going to make money? What's the business model? What's the business plan? Who's done that successfully and why? So you study other people and then yeah. you say, okay, but it has to do some good in the world and it has to be useful enough to where there's the demand that I'm serving because I can't just do something that I want to do. There has to be a market for it. There has to be a demand. There has to be a community to serve. There has to be an audience for it. So, okay, how does it make money? Who is the audience for it and what do they get out of it? What do I like doing? What am I good at? Those things have to be aligned in the right proportions. It's a philosophy called Ikigai. It comes from Okinawa, Japan. When you have Ikigai, that's how you avoid becoming a starting artist. I talk about it in the book quite a bit because it's that important. If you understand Ikigai, you can have a fulfilling career that serves a purpose, that does good in the world, that also doesn't force you to starve. Yeah, that's where greatness comes from. That's how you get greatness. When you get somebody who's doing what they're really good at doing and enjoying doing it and it serves the universe, that's that's where it's all supposed like that's the whole point. That's, yeah. that's what you're talking about essentially. I mean that's yeah. The, yeah. Roberto, yeah, exactly. Roberto, we cannot thank you enough for coming on this evening. Um obviously this has been extremely informative and we also you've made my life to, much easier with thumbnails I'll yes, tell you that and, uh, you, you definitely will get I am sure some we'll get some very popular clips just from having you on guys if you have not currently put in an order for 
Roberto Blake's book, Create Something Awesome, How Creators Are Profiting from Their Passion in the Creator Community. The Creator Economy, excuse me, in his community, too. Uh, Needless to say, we are big fans. Thank you so much. We'll certainly look forward to continuing this conversation going forward. Anything you want to plug before you go, if you have a website, anything you would like people to the check main out. thing, The main thing is the book. But again, I want to remind people that they can get it for free from their public library. They just have to request the library to order it in for them. The library can order it for you. Um, so please do that. And even if it's not for yourself, um, have the public local library order it in so someone else might be able to benefit from it. And if you have the Libby app, from your library, you can um, get my book and read it for free in that way. And also many other great books that might be resources for you. And if you have the the money, support your local libraries, your local media centers, your local community centers. They do a very important job. Um, they're usually very hardworking people. They don't get enough funding. And so the main thing I would ask is if you if you can afford to buy the book, obviously, I love to have more book sales and reviews in Amazon. But the main thing is, if you can't definitely get it from the local library and also remember that the Libby app is that's what most of the um, libraries have. You can get any books pretty much for free through the Libby app at your uh, local public library, you can order things in. Your library also has other resources for you where you can um, you know, check out books, movies, audiobooks sometimes, books on tape. Uh, it has a wealth of resources that go widely underutilized. So just make sure you're uh, supporting your local libraries, everybody. Amen to that, brother. Roberto, thank you so thank much. You so we much. look forward to continuing the conversation going nice forward. To meet you. Hope thank to you, you for back. your help. I appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. All right. Take care. Have a great night. I used to love my library. My mom used to take me so every week to the library. That's and every week you would check out. I would check out new books. Like it was a thing. I kind of know when to pull the trigger, uh, but we could have talked to him for hours. Like it could have kept going. Well, he's really a wealth of information. We have some good ideas. Do you hear that, Ben? We need to have daily shorts. I think we could work that out. No, it's honestly, it's really not that difficult. I mean, the truth is, we've got a number of shorts that I just you know, lined up for, we're good for about a week. So yeah, we're ahead of the curve. As well, far as I mean, there goes, should be one that goes out in the, every morning. Is that what it is? Yeah. Why not? Okay. Well, you have to do that. No, I'm not checking every morning to put them up. You're, he's, you're putting them up. All right. I'm going to put this up one time. I'll do after Barbara, I really appreciate just how committed you were to watching this podcast all the way through. I was not in a, the right way at the time, but for you to be basically belittling my partner and telling her what she needs to be doing as far as whether she should be working with me, this is a generational reflection of the way things have changed. Jen can make her own decisions and she- Well, but you're like talking for me too. I appreciate your concern. I do. Sure. I appreciate your concern. But we've been working together for some time, and I would run through a brick wall for her. And I'd like to think you'd probably do the same for me. Um, He's very loyal. And so thank you for letting me know how much of a you know, misogynist, sexist, racist pig you think that I am. But we'll agree to disagree. She, I don't see all that stuff. She doesn't have to say it. She says it with her suggestion. You're being strawmanning and hyperbolic. But the fact that she's carrying something on that's an hour after the fact. It was pretty bad. I was, again, I, I did it. 
I know. What? All right, you know what? You take her side and I'll leave. All right? Side. Why don't you get a new co-host? You can have her instead. You're being a baby. No, I'm not being a baby. You I, are. You know, I was upset and I okay. fixed the problem. And that's it. Okay. It's unfortunate that there is this, uh, you know, this constant. And again, there's also a lot of anger towards men that certain women have. No, Just like are. men have anger towards women. You there's are. no question. That is a thing. You know? You sound like you were having a tantrum and she called you out on it and she's concerned because I... What does she think? I'm going to hit you? No. It doesn't have to be hitting for somebody to be abused and feel abused. It doesn't have to be hitting. Am I abusing? You have been in the past. I mean, we, yeah. We've talked right. about that. I mean, so, that wasn't news. Okay. So, looks like I've got a lot to work on. So, with that said, we've got a couple of good shows coming up. Monday, we will have Jamal Thomas will be talking about Ukraine and what is going on there. And then on Wednesday, we will have Jordan Chariton, a status coup, to let us know what's going on with the Amazon labor union. So that will be good. And we will also have some other ca uh, candidates that will be coming on. Don't That's Monday, right? Yes. We okay. Will, no, Monday is Jamal. Wednesday is Jordan. And then we also have coming up Beth Macy. I forget which day that was. Uh, that's uh, the day after the election. Okay. So we're, we'll which will be a, we'll do a good election yeah, we'll recap. Do, we'll do an election. We'll we'll go on. We'll go live election night. So we won't do a Monday show. We'll do a Tuesday night show. Uh, you know, during the election. So that covers the second week of November. No, because then we have a live Wednesday with her. We're doing Tuesday and Wednesday. Oh, instead of Monday. Monday. Okay. Okay. Right. I understand. Yeah. But yeah, and then so Beth Macy is the author of Dope Sick, and her new book is Raising Lazarus, and it's about the opioid crisis. And there's so many different intersections of how this affects different communities and different people. It's really, um, when you see it all put together in one place, it's really shocking. It really is. Like you hear bits and pieces of it in different places, but when you see it all compiled in that way, it's really overwhelming. Well, I think it was a very informative conversation. I think we're going to take a number of things from what this gentleman said. Yeah, oh, it makes my Roberto life infinitely easier. Really just kind of hit every note in terms of, you know, I think the how-to videos can be good. I think the conversations, um, you know, between the Bernie, Trump, Clinton, you know, we might potentially get some additional masks, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, with that said, I think it's as far as like anything that's going on right now, uh, I mean, look, you know, Pelosi went on national TV and says there's no problems with the Democrats focusing only on Roe v. Wade, even though all the numbers suggest otherwise. Um, the politician, I think a lot of you have to look out for if you haven't been paying attention to her is Carrie Lake, who's running for governor in Arizona. Um, I can easily see her being uh, DeSantis's VP. Um, you know, a lot of foreshadowing in terms of a lot of the things that are going to be coming up. Um, as far as any of the local elections going on down here, I mean, look, I watched part of Val Deming's uh, Marco Rubio debate. Uh, I did not. But what I can say is that Val definitely uh, did a pretty solid job, I would say, overall. I mean, look, Marco Rubio is as feckless a, you know, senator, representative as anything that you can possibly find in the U.S. Senate. I don't think she's going to beat him, but... I do think that there is a really good chance that even if she does lose, that she will run against uh, Rick Scott in 24. And that would be an opportunity for her to potentially for the, if the Democrats are going to get a statewide race in this state, it'll be with a candidate like 
someone with that type of name recognition, like a Deval Demings, against an absolutely detested and hated representative like Rick Scott. Ron DeSantis is not hated at that level, and neither is Marco Rubio. But Rick Scott is, and he is by far the worst of them all. So I would say that that's probably the best shot that will be coming down the pipe. And and another reason I do think that that is possible is because Rick Scott really doesn't like Ron DeSantis. No. And because of that, it's their great. animosity towards one another, don't think for a second that DeSantis wouldn't see fit to seeing Rick Scott get kicked out of office. I think that that's a thought. Ron DeSantis takes up a lot of rent-free space in Rick Scott's head. That I do believe. More, I think Rick more Scott so than the other way around. Well, of course. Well, look, If uh, the funny thing is, if Gillum had won, Rick Scott would be trajecting, like right now, towards potentially uh, definitely running for president and uh, not having much in the way of a roadblock. So everything happens for a reason. He's like, run, run, run. But if you are so inclined and you do like our show and our content, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month, like a sub at Subway. You can be a patron of our wonderful show. but if Like these feeling, awesome people. Yes, these awesome people that we have flashed across. Oh, we got to add Sam Miller back on there. For $5 a month. Technically, he's seven, so you can put him up in ten if you want to. I think it's also because he's Canadian. For $10 a month, you can get the wonderful Mansion Parliamentarian as well as the Lulu sticker as part of the giveaway. Look at that Lulu. It's really awesome. He's so cool. Just 10 bucks a month. Really does make a difference. And let's face it, this is who runs the country. So very important stuff. And if you are really feeling generous, $25 a month gets you. This wonderful baseball style, very soft as silk cotton shirt that says, you know, your hair's in the way. Now it's not. Generational change on the back, transforming politics into service. And for our very, very, very generous small business owners like Apex Insurance Agency, Home and Auto and Life, for any of your local needs, they are based in Delray Beach. Lord knows we don't want to be promoting big box corporations. No. So go with the small business and they will definitely be taking care of you. Tell them, tell, tell them Jen and Pete sent you. Jen and Pete did send and we're definitely giving our big seal of approval. <laughs> $50 a month will get you a shout out every single show. Every we show. Will plug your business. And if and you have a taco truck, we will even do our show from your location. That would be great. So with that said, I'm really wanting a taco truck sponsor. I feel like it would be so apropos. <laughs> Barbara would be happy to replace you as your co as 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 the co-host. She apparently likes to hit the bong as well. Let me Barbara bong, understands. Please. Barbara, we'll talk sometime, maybe. But his bark is much worse than his bite. Oh no! If somebody ever hurt Jen, my bike. Right, it's sort of like a sibling. Like if anyone's allowed to be mean to me, it's only him. He's allowed to be mean to me, but no one else is allowed to be mean to me. Which is fine. I don't have any brothers or sisters, so it's fine. But what this thing empty? It might be because you smoked it. I barely had any. You took it. No, I didn't fill it since the last thing. Yeah, see, I've got to sit there and set it up. I just, I look, it's nice that somebody's worried about my safety. Uh, uh, yeah, I know, because I don't worry about it. No, I don't think you think of emotional well being as part of overall health as much as maybe you could. 
Mansion and the parliamentarian running together, not him replacing the parliamentarian. No, not Mansion for parliamentarian. It's Mansion and parliamentarian for president and vice president in twenty four. You're talking about the head of the party. These are the two people that Joe Biden himself, the president, could not get legislation through because of these two people. That's how powerful they are. That's where the party should run for president. Roberto already sent a message saying, you guys are great. You had me laughing out loud. So great. I I think we definitely made a a good impact. Think. Good. Well, see, maybe he could share share some of that. You know. Now we're going to do a test before I go to see if I'm actually capable of doing a smoke ring. Jen thinks. I don't think so. Not. I don't think so. Oh, oh shit! Is that all we have to talk about? We have nothing left to talk about. Mm-mm. We must have something to talk about. No. 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 <laughs> I think the first one was possibly close. Yeah, it wasn't That's good. That's what I mean. You got lucky that other one. You didn't do it because you did it. It just turned into one. But remember, I didn't hail. That's so gross. And you know what? I would much rather have a president that didn't hail. Because then it's sort of like you're putting it out there. This is my problem with certain people. I will tell people straight up front, I will never vote for someone who I feel like isn't comfortable in their own skin and true to who they are as a person, whatever that is. Like I, I will, that is just something I find repulsive in in general. It's a problem. It's a problem. Please share. I don't like chameleons. Like, and subscribe, do any and all that you can. Vladimir Putin has declared martial law in Russia. Well, Hey, look, you know, the human race had a good run while it was. uh, Does Russia even have martial law? What does that mean there? Uh, well, he is basically a king, so we'll see. We'll see how badly this uh, country really wants World War III. We'll see. Uh, it was never going to end well, but that's, you know, that's politics. Our next Iraq is Ukraine. And well, you know, we'll I don't know that we're, our next Iraq isn't going to still be Iraq. Like, you know, you, you one doesn't preclude the other. We also have we're, we're seem to want to be taunting China. We seem to be one like we seem to want to be doing all sorts of stuff. So, you know, got to bite off more than you can chew. Well, eventually that's the end of an empire. Empire dies when it's yeah, sort of strong. when it's offense. um exceeds its ability to properly care for its citizenry. It's kind of like you're imploding from the inside out. That's what's happening. Well, we're definitely about promoting peace, not about promoting war. No, I'm against the next war. I'm against the one after that and the one after... When somebody... I'm I'm against the one after that. And until I see something threatening, like, I don't know, are they coming up on the shores? I live in a coastal place. You know, the only people I've ever seen come up on the shore, people desperately fleeing where they're from, and we send them back to where they came from. We don't seem to be worried about that. It's a very good question, Steve. Yes, we do know what Putin wants. Putin wants exactly what we want. West Ukraine has trillions and trillions of dollars in rich natural resources. We want them, and that is why Ukraine is basically a proxy country for the United States, much like Israel and other places. This is always about money and power. It's never about anything else. Right, or, and, it's or the same resources thing. that translate to money and power. It's the same thing with Taiwan. It's the same thing. No, they want, they want to like provoke. It's like we sure. want to provoke 
and provoke and provoke so that when somebody does something in response, then we point at that as a reason to go like full on. I'm telling you, we're the annoying little brother that just sits there like this. No, you touched me. I'm not right. And then and then they and then the the older sibling hits them and they get in trouble. It's like that's what we do everywhere, all around the world, all the time. And we just people don't understand that this is going on all over the place. Like our warships have been up Russia's ass for years. We're all over them. Okay, he's absolutely correct. And again. This is exactly why I don't mind if people have nukes, because it actually allows them to protect themselves. Probably. We don't like that, though. We can't have that. And if it, and if the powers that be in this country don't want it, that means we, it, then it means it makes sense. No, we can't nuke Russia. We can't do that. It's just so I know that you're probably just being sarcastic, I think well, but um, <clears throat> I feel infinitely more solidarity with people in Russia than I do with the leadership of this country and the people that are in charge of what we're doing in other places. So like Russian mothers love their babies too. And I, I have solidarity with people all over that are having right wingism basically taking over their lives because those are our people, you know, the country thing, it's sort of like, that's a fiction. You know, like we've decided over years where different boundaries are based on might makes right. Like, so we have that, but the reality is, is that all the regular people, um, we're all the same. We're all the same and we all love our kids and we're all just trying to survive. And unfortunately for some people that are born in district 12, their lives unfortunately suck. Um, And I always say, it's like, I'm very thankful that I'm in district one. You know, I'm not in the Capitol, mind you, but I'm in District 1, and I appreciate every little bit of that, but we have to be aware of the people that are in District 12, and I and that's the thing. I have way more in common with those people in Russia and Ukraine that are just trying to, like, live than I do with any of the oligarchs that are making money from investing in that. On either side, by the way. It's just easy to other people, and that's how it is. I don't, my oligarchs, so I, I don't care what language my oligarchs speak. I care that we have oligarchs. Did people really think that you were just going to be basically talking about Russians like they're inhuman and that they don't exist and that the election was really stolen because of Hillary's temper tantrum, because she thought she was benevolent and all of this and everything in between? No. Again, uh, in some ways, people reap what they sow. I still don't see what it is that they've done that is so, like, reprehensible. Like, anything that Russia has done to us We've done to them tenfold prior. I mean, when you talk about meddling in elections, what in what country internationally do we not meddle in their elections? Like we we can't even stop meddling in our own elections. It's so bizarre to me that we still are doing this red baiting crap. Oh. It's so old. Guys, I feel like it's Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day. Like this is ridiculous. You know, the Russians are not my enemy. I, I, they're not. And yet I don't appreciate invading other countries. I'm not a fan of imperialism. I, I don't like it when we do it. I don't like it when Putin does it, but we're not the, we're not the good guys on like the white horse. That's not us. That unfortunately is a very big problem with comfortable liberals in the suburbs and the cityscapes. They oh, really people. believe when I see they, your Ukrainian flags, I they really believe that they're mouth. doing they're, they they really think that they're doing something noble for society. Yeah. No, they're not. Uh-huh. You know what is noble for society? 
demanding that we end the military industrial complex control over our lives, demand a living wage, universal health care, and a clean energy grid that will allow us to save this planet from complete and But more than that, do you think, I want to ask people with your Ukrainian flags that are supporting whatever it is that you're supporting, because which what you're really supporting is the military industrial complex. But do you really think that the regular people in Ukraine that are just scared for their lives and are just really like not happy at all, right? Do you think they're being benefited in any way, shape or form by whatever support it is that you're supporting us doing for them? Like, do you, do you really think it's like going to aid? You think it's going to help the people in Ukraine beat off a ruthless dictator? No, it's just going to keep festering the military in, invasion. It's going to keep festering the problem so that the complex can make money. So it's not like they're supporting Ukrainian people. That's the that's what's so frustrating. The Ukrainian people are not benefiting from whatever it is that our involvement is, is not in, in, on, in favor of the Ukrainian people. I assure you, it is not for their benefit. All right. Well, <laughs> another life lesson learned. Well, do you think that anybody gives a crap about the Ukrainians? Uh, if they did, they would try to find every which way to end this thing as fast as possible. But the truth is, they think that the Ukrainians can actually beat the Russians in an actual all-out war. No matter how many people have to die, they are really convinced, hey, Putin just needs to retreat. The level of privilege in that statement knows no bounds. Because you don't live in reality. That's like telling, that's like, it's almost as if suggesting that the Iraqis should just fight the Americans until they beat them. Because, you know, that's possible. So when people say that you lose the war, no, you just lose because you didn't actually win. But how many people have to die? There is no winning. No. There's no winning. Well, no, that's not true. There's winning for a very, very small group of people. They win every time, no matter which side wins or loses. Like the side, the, the fictional teams, if you will, like this is, you know, whatever the teams are. So it's Russia and Ukraine or it's us and China. Those are the fictional teams. It doesn't matter who wins or loses there. The actual people who profit from all of the conflict, they win either way. No it doesn't what. matter. No matter what. That train will keep going. It's the same thing as in this within this country when you have big businesses and big oligarchs. They don't care which party is in power. No. They, they, they're hedging their bets. They fund both sides. It doesn't matter to them. And it's the same for what's going on with other countries. Like it does, nothing that we're doing is to help the regular people of those countries. All they're doing is just a bunch of rich people playing stratego for whatever it is that they're fighting over at any given time. We'll get much more information on that on Monday with Jamal Thomas, because I have no doubt we'll be very well informed. With that said, we appreciate you guys. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, share. We'll be taking some serious advice from Roberto. Thanks again to Mike Gellin. Great interview as always. Uh, money well spent. And we will see you all on Monday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.